You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Good morning. I figured I would, you know, start it off with the obvious dad joke of I'm your fill-in preacher today. Uh, I couldn't find anybody better, and that's the level of humor that I have, so sorry. We're, we're continuing through our series on the Psalms of Ascent this morning. And uh, like Pastor Tom has been kind of talking about, these are a series of Psalms that have functioned as a way to mark journeys. Um, people have read them for a long time together to kind of get an understanding of what it means to go up, to journey together, to journey towards God. And in fact, a lot of times, um, the people would be, well, every year, they were forced to uh, go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, which is kind of awesome. And forced is a weird word because really they were getting, you know, called up to go party. And um, on their journey to Jerusalem, they would remember and mark the journey through these psalms. And uh, I, I really... I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcasts of, of Tom leading us through the first couple, and, and now we're in 127. And uh, there's this uh, very strange break in the psalm, and I think it's probably pretty obvious to you if you read it. There's this idea of laboring in vain, and there's this idea of children. And it really could function as two different messages pretty easily, um, but I'm going to do my best this morning to kind of go through the whole thing and hopefully transition in a way that makes a little bit of sense. But if it doesn't, I apologize. We can talk later. Um, when Tom and Jim asked me to teach uh, on this psalm in particular or on a psalm, I really struggled to say yes. I mean, as an angsty teenager, I probably wrote poetry, and it was probably really bad. Um, but I'm not sure that I'm, like, real versed in how to interpret or wrestle with poetry. And psalms are poetry. But the more I thought about it, the more it kind of intrigued me. And one of the reasons that it started to intrigue me is music has always been an important part of who I am. In fact, it's like probably how I would have defined myself as a younger person. And if you wanted to, I could pro or if I wanted to, I could probably tell my entire life's journey through the songs that I was listening to at the time that I was growing and learning and developing and all that kind of stuff and would probably be a really fun exercise. I started putting it together this last week and it's been very interesting. Um, but music has functioned that way for me because as part of my journey, uh, I've spent or I spent uh, probably a good section of my life trying to kill off any emotional response to anything that would ever come my way. 
Um, my parents got divorced when I was young. My dad was a pastor that had done some things that were terrible. And so from a very young age, it was one of those things where I had to be an adult, or at least I thought I had to be an adult. And what I thought an adult was, was somebody that was very cold, very rational, and very logical. And so I cultivated that in myself to be a very rational, very pragmatic, very measured in my responses to life. And uh, in contrast to that was this love of music and songs. And it was like the place where I really came alive was over in that realm. But that wasn't real life, that was just where I experienced that. It gave me the space to do that. But I think as I've grown, what I've found is just as necessary as the logic, just as necessary as the pragmatic thinking, just as necessary as all of those things are and that they provide a rationality to our existence. There's a way of knowing truth and coming to terms with our own existence, our own relationships, our own lives that transcends all of that and sometimes can only be encapsulated through the images and beauty in poetry, in a painting, in a song. And in that case, they become even more true than the scientific explanation. So with our text this morning, I'm looking to integrate the rational side of me with this side of me that loves the truth that can only be found in art. At its best, art is neither cynical nor naive. It is true. It can show us how the world is or how it could be or even how it might be if things continue the way they're going. They can be lights in the dark. And I believe that this psalm is one of those things that can be a prophetic, and by prophetic, I mean a truth-telling image in our very, very busy lives. And I've started to think of psalms as, as a whole, as the most epic of mixtapes of folks coming to grips with their relationships with themselves, their creator, and the world. I suppose mixtapes are playlists if you're younger, huh? Uh, that's, that weirds me out every time. It's a mixtape. 
and you should spend a lot of time making them because they're important. Um, but that understanding has started to function in this really like important way for me. It's been an incredible blessing and also what I would consider very, very useful. I mean, when I think about it, like I think how many, mu how many songs can I sing along with when I hear them started? Or like if I went Baby Shark, you guys would all do, 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 right? Like it's just, it gets into our brain. We remember. In fact, you probably remember the first time you heard that song and maybe the time that you wanted to break your radio hearing it again. Um, they get inside you, right? And I contrast like all the music that I know or all the movie quotes that I know or all the art that I can like call to mind. And then I start to think about like, uh, how much scripture do I know? You know, not nearly the same, right? And that's not, that's not a way to put you down to make you think, oh, you're filling your brain with stuff that doesn't matter. No, you're filling your brain with stuff that does matter and it's easier to remember and that's why. There's a reason that they were quoting the Psalms as they journeyed. They're easy to remember and they're true. Now they're less easy for us to remember simply because we don't get the rhyme, we don't get the meter, we don't get the positions that they're in. We get, you know, the translation of a translation of a translation and so it makes it a little bit harder for us to remember these things. But that's why the truth in our music is so important. It's why we worship with music. It's a way of getting to a truth that embeds itself in our brain in a way that we can't fully understand how it affects us without living it. So we're coming to grips with our human experience through art or through a psalm, in particular this psalm, and that's what I've been trying to do for the last few weeks. And the idea behind meaning and truth and all of this kind of stuff uh, is one that continuously is being asked in my brain. And I found this quote uh, by Owen Barfield, who was a member of the Inklings um, and was writing this in the 20th century. So it's a little older, right? And yet it still, I think, encapsulates a very, very cool idea. Amid all the menacing sowings that surround us in the middle of the 20th century, perhaps the one that fills thoughtful people with the greatest foreboding is the growing general sense of meaninglessness. It is this that underlies most of the other threats. How is it that the more able man becomes to manipulate the world to his advantage, the less he can perceive any meaning in it? Read that last part again, because I think it's insanely relevant. How is it that the more able man becomes to manipulate the world to his advantage, the less he can perceive any meaning in it. Or in other words, 
unless the Lord builds the house. Those who build it labor in vain. The only way to give meaning to our work is to center it in Christ. The only way to give meaning to our lives is to center them in Christ. So much of our labor, so much of our toil is in vain. It leads us to this like constant comparison of successes and failures and am I enough and do I have enough or do my kids have enough or continue on forever. It's this causal chain that forces us to strive harder and continue to to compete over and over against one another to get ahead. Causes us to fear real evil. In fact, like evil is one of those things that I think is almost 100% like undisputable at this point in our lives, right? We can't escape it. We see it. We see it in our broken world with natural disasters. We see it in our societies with the dehumanizing and demonizing of people that don't agree. We see it in our families with loss, brokenness, illness. We see it in our bodies as we age and entropy feels inescapable. And we're always watching for it. We almost expect it. And yet, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You can't add a day through your life, or you can't add a day to your life through worry. I know we look for safety, and safety is a great thing. But as C.S. Lewis says, our God is not safe, He's good. Until we let God truly watch over us, we will make ourselves sick with anxiety. And I'm not talking about anxiety as a mental health diagnosed disorder with a chemical imbalance in your brain that needs medication and therapy. That's a very real thing. I am talking about anxiety in the sense of that general meaninglessness of finding that our work means ultimately nothing or that we're doing it for nothing, or we're on this constant path grinding ahead with no end in sight. Waking up early, going to bed late, trying harder. It truly is in vain that we get up early and go to bed late. It really does feel that even our food is the bread of anxious toil. But God gives to his beloved sleep, rest. The burden is easy because it's not yours. It was taken from you at a great price. And there's um, a poem that I've really kind of fallen in love with, and I encourage you all to go read the whole thing at another time. 
but I'm going to read you just a few stanzas from it because I think it gets to this core idea of what does it mean to give to your loved ones sleep? What does it mean that God gives us sleep, rest? And it's a poem called The Sleep, right, uh, by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And it goes, like, I'm not a great poetry reader, so I apologize. You'll have to, like, read it on your own, and it'll be better, I promise. Of all the thoughts of God that are born inward unto souls afar, along the psalmist's music deep, now tell me if that any is for gift or grace surpassing this, he giveth his beloved sleep. What would we give to our beloved, the hero's heart to be unmoved, the poet's star-tuned harp to sweep, the patriot's voice to teach and rouse, the monarch's crown to light the brows? He gives to his beloved sleep. For me, my heart that erst did go, most like a tired child at a show, that sees through tears the mummer's leap, would now its wearied vision close would childlike on his love repose, who giveth his beloved sleep. And friends, dear friends, when it shall be that this low breath is gone from me, and round my beer ye come to weep, let one most loving of you all say, not a tear over her fall, he giveth his beloved sleep that beautiful gift of rest. The God of the universe giving us rest and providing for us even when we're crashed out. What a thing to remember. The psalmist continuously reminds us of our need for God to be in all of our work and in all of our rest. Reminders are amazingly beautiful things. I think to the practice of uh, placing altars along the journey so when you pass by them again, you're reminded of what God did. It's the same with these psalms. It's just a different trigger to remember what God has done and what God is doing. And I know, for me, I need to be constantly reminded. In fact, a few, few nights ago, I was sitting at home with my kids. I have four kids, 10, 9, sorry, 11, 9, and twin six-year-olds. There we go. His birthday was last week. Um... And I was sitting in our living room and they were watching TV and they were watching uh, somebody on YouTube play Minecraft. I didn't know this was a thing. It's a thing. Uh, and it's as excruciating as you can imagine. Uh, it's brutal. And I'm watching them and I'm trying to figure out, like, what is it about this experience that's, like, drawing them in, that's keeping them there? And they're watching, you know, and then they're, oh, I can't believe you made that. And reacting with surprise and they're getting more and more excited and then there's a jump scare and they all, ah, and, you know, run out of the room and then run back in to see what happens next. And I'm just like this, I'm, I have a headache. This is terrible. And yet 
watching them do that, it caused me to remember. It caused me to remember a few days before with my oldest in the middle of the Mississippi River fishing for catfish. It caused me to remember picking my daughter up from choir and singing the entire way back home. Mind you, I cannot sing. It reminds me of Fitz. I remember going to the hospital and anxiously awaiting the results of the tests, fearing that the diagnosis was going to be awful. I remembered stomping through a creek. I remember bedtime prayers. I remember at a point I was so burnt out, I couldn't think of words to pray. And so I sat there with my children every night for months, reciting only the Lord's Prayer. I remember my children asking to pray it with me. See, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And they don't always feel like it but I need to remember it constantly. Not only do I need to remember that children are a blessing, but they are also a huge responsibility. It's our job to lead them, teach them, to ultimately unleash them onto the world. Our children are inheriting a world that we do not understand or even know what it might look like. Increasing automation is creating economic problems that we don't fully understand. Technology is progressing at such a rate that our ethical paradigms are no longer able to keep up. There is a wildly large missing social interaction component of real relationships in favor of cultivated internet ones. I mean, my children will never have the intense pleasure or fear of picking up a phone and calling a friend's house and getting their parents instead. That bothers me. And in all of that unknown, there's that same sense that the more we shape the world to our liking, the less we can make sense of it. This is the world that we're preparing these kids for. To be lights in the darkness, to be cities on hilltops, to have meaningful relationships, and to solve problems. To be beacons of hope and justice. To love Christ. To love their neighbors. We are unleashing them on a world. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, 
are the children of our youth. We are blessed that our quiver is full of them. That new world does not become scary. It becomes beautiful when we see it through the eyes and the opportunities and hope of our kids and their engagement with it. Now I get it, like not everybody in this room has kids. Some folks may be struggling with infertility. Some may be single. And some just, you know, kids aren't in the plan. It's great. It's fine. Stay that way. No. Um, but remember with any, any poem any truth, any song, anything uh, like, like this, the images conjured can be seen through different lenses. And see, this particular psalm was either written by David to Solomon or it was written by Solomon himself. And the reason that that matters is because it was Solomon's task to build the temple, the resting place the place on earth where God would dwell. And now, through the spirit of Christ, our bodies are living temples. The resting place of the Most High is within us. And unless God builds that temple those who labor do so in vain. And then there's this part about children, right? And I would argue that it's very real to the psalmist and it would have been in the forefront of his mind that very blessing that overrode all of their lives. the blessing that God gave to Abraham that his descendants would be many and through his descendants, help was coming. They were to be a blessing to be a blessing, making those very children that the poem is talking about the ancestry of Jesus. We are always one generation from extinction. Kids matter even if they aren't ours. The true blessing of being a child of God is that Jesus was coming. He's coming to put things right, coming with a new way of being human, coming with purpose, coming to die, coming to rise again, coming to bring a new kingdom. A new kingdom in which we have rest, that our work has meaning, 
that our families are connected and healthy. And we're participating with Christ in this kingdom work even today. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.